0: Welcome to Down in the Data, an audio
1: series where we talk to the data science and analytics staff of the Indiana Department of Correction to learn how they use data to solve problems. Welcome. My name is Chris Covey, and over the next couple of audio episodes, I'm going to introduce you to the data science and analytics team for the Indiana Department of Correction. This audio series is dedicated to telling the story of how this amazing team uses tools and technology to make the world better. So I met Eric a little while ago when I had the opportunity to develop a presentation for the Corrections Technology Association annual conference. The more I learned about what they were doing, the more intrigued I became. So let's start with introductions. Eric, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah. Uh, I am Eric Ballinger. I am the Director of Data Science and Analytics from the Indiana Department of Correction. I have support. Or, you yeah, the DSA, uh, more or less since its inception as, as such. Well, I've been with IDSE since 2019.
2: Benjamin, you're up. I'm Benjamin Covington. I'm an operation analyst for the data science and analytics division. And I've been with the division for coming up on two years now. So Eric, how did this? Group of awesome people get together.
0: Um, luckily, we've been given a, a fair amount of latitude. So, the data science and analytics division really spawned out of one of out of a, a project in 2016 that helped reduce some uh, staff assaults. And from that, the commissioner decided that we should have more people doing data science. We should be doing something more. We should do something more with the data. I was lucky enough to interview with uh, Sarah Shelley and. That's kind of where it started. That's what I want to say that I've been here since the beginning division. I was, I think, the first or second person actually hire under to work in the, what well, initially was the division of legislation and data science. Uh, that merge other stuff together. This time as time has passed, the division has moved its focus a little bit. I mean, we are still doing all the data analytics stuff, uh, that's federally required, required by state statute. We've been able to find people who what to do more than just three frequency charts and list tables of things to try and improve the lives of these folks. And every time we have the even being a successful project, I think that grants us even more latitude. It, and it shows that not just looking for people with a criminal justice background or the background correction can get uh, some very positive results.
1: Eric, can you talk a little bit about the history of data science division?
0: The Research division is, uh, in statute. So are oddly enough with NDOC, Um, it's research versus research. Uh, we're the only division that is in statute. All the rest of them are at the commissioner or the governor's discretion. But that one, uh, if they want to get rid of research in DOC, uh, it, will re- it will require the legislature to, to change that. Now the the spreadsheet is very different. Uh because it it mostly talks about um providing well, those counts that we we're talking that uh, how many how many people are in our custody? Um, how much does it cost to do certain things? Uh, what kind of programs are we using? What's the program utilization? So what is specifically within statute. The, the bulk of that, of the statute is about counts and numbers and frequencies and all that. Um, but there's two lines that are really important that we are there to provide information to researchers and we are encouraged to produce our own research on the nature of criminality and criminology. Um, so those two grant us that are really that impetus to don't do more than just catalog human misery. Um, we can, we are required to, to produce certain, again, to, like, we produce our population bond that goes out. So, over the like, well, course of this month, we add this video emissions and this new releases and all that stuff. Um, but if we can look closer at what prevent legalization, uh, reverses violence or increases health or receive recidivism, which is what everyone is talking about, they're gone. Uh, then we, then we should do that. So the research debate has been around since sometime in the late seventies, early eighties. I think that's when that statute was originally written. Um, so we have to have some group of people that produces numbers. Um, the notion that it can do more than just produce frequency tables really does stem from um, work in 2016 when we started doing Realizing that we have all of this
1: information, why don't we do something with it? Do you want to describe the different skill sets that you have within the department? Yeah. Like
0: I said, we don't... Actually, at this point, we have only one person with a corrections background. So what everyone brings to the table is very different. Uh, Other than everyone has at least some background in statistics and analysis to a certain extent uh but also very different sections of it. So um some of it's a little broader um uh, and some of it's very narrowly focused on very high level statistics. Our, our backgrounds are our of the group that I've meant managed to assemble again given the, the latitude that we have. Uh, so on the one hand we have a researcher now most of her focus is in qualitative research, so looking at large amounts of just Generally considered unorganized data and putting into some kind of structure so that it becomes meaningful in a way that you don't have to read four thousand pages of stuff to make it make sense. What a researcher has a PhD in neuroscience, so very different statistical background, but also very important. Uh, My own background is quantitative psychology, which is I have a fairly broad array of statistical tools none of them quite as well home as any of the other folks, um, which, is, which is useful to say, okay, I think this thing will work. And now I can go talk to this particular analyst and say, hey, great. Um, I think this will work. You tell me if I'm right or not. Or yes. or so I could um, do But on the other hand, we also I mean, there are the backgrounds also are very diverse. So again, um, we have an MBA with a background in theater. And uh, my background is you know, a quantity quantitative psychology, English, and philosophy. Um, the MBA's background is in theater, prior to the MBA. Um, we have a math teacher. Um, one of our researchers started out in LA. Um, and then we have both with non criminal justice backgrounds. Well, criminal justice major and they, someone came out through the facilities mm-hmm. and made corrections. Um, so all of this stuff, um, uh, allows us to do more than to go back to this frequency trip. Uh, but it allows us to do, to go beyond that because everyone thinks slightly differently. Um, and so when you think about this in, in terms of business or insurance. Oh, well. Of course, this is what we should expect to have happen. That's how brains work. When you place someone under certain, in certain conditions, that's how they're going to respond. Um, prison is just a very ramped up environment. but, But I think the most important skill that I've looked for is someone who is willing to look at the world slightly differently than a straight corrections or criminal justice background. It's not, it's not always, please be one prison end of story. It's why are they here? How can we keep them safe while they're here? And how do we make sure that when they leave, they don't come back? It, using
1: whatever tool happens to show so, up. So I guess then I'd, I'd ask how do you collect this information and then what do you do with it? So, so to that question
2: uh, uh, starting with uh, how do we collect the data? A lot of that actually comes down to what is available to us. And oh. we don't have to simply passively accept what's available but but there is um uh, a realistic consideration of we're already collecting a lot of data because of ongoing processes um uh, s- simple tracking purposes and as as eric's mentioned you know more more than just cataloging human misery then the question becomes what can we do with what we're already collecting um so you know, we're talking about individuals who are in our custody 24 hours a day. Um, we, we keep track of any incidents, um, between offenders that, um, that constitute a conduct violation. We keep track of grievances. We keep track of, um, their, because we provide healthcare while they're with us. We, we keep track of, uh, their healthcare records. We keep track of, uh, when they leave and come back, the reasons for which they come back, um, their encounters with parole boards. Well, but there, there's quite a bit that we're constantly tracking. And then it is a matter of, um, question setting from that. But alongside that, we do end up also asking, um, what, what can we collect on reasonably? Um, so there are times when, uh, we can arrange data sharing with other agencies within the state because these are, of course, individuals who ex- exist as citizens within the state prior to coming to us. Um, and whenever they leave us, so they have engagements with other state agencies and we can, we can ask of, of some of those sources. Um, is there a way in which, uh, sharing data between us can help us facilitate better questions? So there are times when the questions are born of the data available to us. And there are times when, uh, the questions are more first by some perceived need. And then we ask, is there data that we could bring together, uh, to, to bear upon this? Um, a lot of the question setting then is not a reasonable, not, not an unreasonable amount of it inspired internally. Um, by the various backgrounds many of us have, uh, as, as we look at the, what comes across our desks, uh, or as we engage various, uh, simple data requests, it'll spawn other things. Um, but also via uh, ongoing conversation with other divisions in the department. Um, for example, um, I, I have a penchant or um, the medical unit and, and the data that they work with and, and trying to help them uh, address some of their operational needs. So there have been not a few times when through conversation with them, they don't necessarily fully understand what we do. We don't necessarily fully understand what they do. And it is in the conversation that we realize, Oh, here's a, here's a touch point where we could try to address a need. Um, uh, a specific example is uh, Trying to uh, deal with the limited resources available to um, to manage mental health cases, and knowing at the uh, sites where we have those resources available, what kind of load we might forecast for staff over the coming six months? Um, do do we expect to see an increase in? S- individuals classified with a, a certain category of middle condition so that they are prepared to some degree to, um, to adapt to that increased load or to reallocate resources from an area with an expected decreased load. And it can be simple things like that to, of, of course the, uh, things like the assault model predicting out- adverse outcomes so that they can be avoided is, is one of the, the, Big goals and, and we do often find ourselves asking, what are some adverse outcomes that we could avoid? Not only, um, while they're currently in a facility, but, you know, after they leave, uh, there, there have been cooperative efforts with, um, FSSA, um, in the returning citizens task force to ask, uh, can, can we predict how likely they are? to visit the emergency room within the first 180 days after release? Um, and does that relate to any vulnerability um, characteristics that we know about before we release them so that we can help them make that transition, um, get healthcare support so that they're less likely to enter into a crisis state before they pursue healthcare support? There are all sorts of things that we can ask, and it's just a matter of working with um other stakeholders in the department and in other departments to identify what, what priorities are and then ask, you know, is, is that something that we have the data for can get the data for, have a method statistically to answer because statistics can answer quite a few questions. Not, not necessarily all, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm sad to say, uh, but it it is one of those things where it's an ongoing conversation that continues to frame what it is we do to to help facilitate the overall work of the department.
1: So, Eric, you've described the characteristics of of what makes up the team, but how many people are on the team currently? Well,
2: we've got
0: is directly under me, because um, we also so the the division itself so sort of tends to the intense merge and separate. Well, uh, on this, on a weird timeline. Um, cause as you know, we just went through a major uh, shift in how, in our vendor management system. And so part of the team is dedicated almost exclusively to working with that side of things, how to hold their data. A brand new system. That, um, no one really understands even the developers because it was built by a team of developers. There's no one person that we knew I was like, Here's where this is. Oh, I, I built this part and I need to go to this guy and build that part because they all interact. So it's this weird chain. Um, so on the data science and analytics side of things, you know, four people. Yeah, there's four there. And then I have someone I share with community corrections, who mm-hmm. uh, that also does a bunch of similar things, uh, for community corrections, though on a, on a limited scale, um, because in Indiana, uh, once someone leaves um, a facility, if they don't go on drill, our information about them becomes um, or almost scattered, over disparate. Um, and then there are three individuals who handle a lot of the analytics side of things, working right, right out of the offender management system. So they're they're pulling queries, they're fixing data, they're creating reports that are exclusively for internal consumption. So things like where is some things like camp letters? Like they they help produce. Where is this guy supposed to be today? Uh, or what's their job today? Um, yeah, so all told, that's eight people. Um, but all doing very all doing very different things. And starting really, again, you know, data analytics was think like three or four. And the data science was originally just one. Um, so he's, he's grown quite a bit. So and one of the same to to add on to what Benjamin was saying about how we. Hope at these models, and I, I think he skipped over the the obvious thing because it was an obvious thing. Um, it, some of it is there. There are existing tools. Um, so with the suicide model we have, I started with, well, let's suppose that people who are more susceptible to depression are more likely to attempt suicide. He had the Joltebeck Beck Depression Inventory. However, there is another inventory called the Holmes Brady life event inventory, but it's just a list of things that have happened to you over the course of the last year and reached given our weight. Well, most of the things on that list we track. So I did not need to go talk to these people. I can I can drop them into this inventory and say, okay, so based off of this, you have an elevated chance of depression, which by extension probably elevate your, your possibility of a of, uh, of suicide. So there are existing Inventories and and existing models that are generally used out in the uh, the the open population, that we may already have the answers to those questions, and we can just plug that in and and see how well it applies to first. And and I think I think Benjamin skipped over that part because only kind of involves
1: us. (laughs) It's just like oh, here's the thing. (laughs) We just use that thing. Uh, It's a lot. Lastly, I kind of want to talk a li- about some of the different models and the different inventories. Can you talk a little bit about just the five that you're working on right now or that have been established?
0: Well, yeah. So we have a handful of models that we're working relatively well. Um, but as I mentioned, we just changed our vendor management system. As a result, where that data is, has all, uh, some of it just straight disappeared. Um, other parts of it though, actually will potentially be easier to get to. But regardless of that, we have to rebuild everything. Yeah. Luckily, we're not starting to stretch. Like with the assault model, we, we kind of know what has an impact. So we just have to go find those things and drop it back in and possibly shift some stuff around. Um, we have a, a contraband model that um, helps to guide where to search, which um, physical building within a facility, because while they're supposed to search every building within a certain amount of time, often we don't have staff for that. So by, by prioritizing saying, okay, this building is most likely to have contraband start here and then run through all the ones that have a greater than percent chance and then get as many doubles as you can. That's a suicide ideation model that uh we can talk about it's awful at predicting all attempt suicide, but excellent and at dividing people who won't. So what you get is one good short as Benjamin mentioned for resource allocation. So we know that there's roughly fifteen percent historically of offenders who will claim to be suicidal as a de facto projected custody. Um, but this model is the, um, it's the, uh, person working with them. Jump to um, counselor. Sure. Sure. So if the counselor has no experience with this person, they can look at this model and say, okay, so you do not appear, have any markers that say you're suicidal. I think you're one of the people who just want it out of yourself. um, and of course, the main thing there is that the counselor should override that. If they met this guy and my model says that they're fine, but the counselor's like, I'm not sure that's true. Just ignore it. Bring it. Um, but that way we can help. And again, get out, resources to people who actually mm-hmm. might conceivably. Again, my books, the model's awful for purchasing suicide. It says that you are suicidal at eight is right. 10% of the time. Um, but I would much rather than... Caution that says, if they claim to be suicidal and the model they are, let's, let's get them into a um, So, um, what else we got going on? You, anybody you got a bunch more, I think, in ways. Sure. Uh, so
2: right now, uh, okay. looking at the effects of certain indicators, uh, yeah. stress on. Violent outcomes, uh, we, we have, we have some indicators that we collect regularly on that have been associated with increased reactivity and that there are a few ways to deal with reactivity. Um, and they are, uh, fight, flight or freeze basically. Um, so if you have something that cues you up to uh, a threat feeling, um, we're, we're basically we're mostly concerned with the fight scenario, uh, cause you don't really have anywhere to flee to and our custody. And if, if he frees, uh, mm-hmm. generally, you know, our, our custody staff can manage the situation pretty well. If, if you fight, um, you know, we don't, we don't want vendors to get hurt. We don't want staff to get hurt. So, uh, helping contribute to continually improving our models, um, and including the assault model, uh, Uh, and and extending some of them into uh new new possible data sources um looking at the potential to employ uh, existing research and data we have available to predict negative medical events like the acquisition uh, of a pre-diabetic or diabetic state um it's not particularly uncommon in, in any population really um Looking at, we we put together uh, a model that looks at um, the likelihood of a certain type of mental health code change with the given period after they arrive with us. So we we classify individuals with certain mental health levels um, and a indicating that you know uh, effectively everything's fine with this individual. They they don't need significant mental health support uh, from our staff, but we have individuals who. Because of a pre-existing mental health condition or because of uh, substance abuse, because of any number of things might be classified as something other than an A and need varying degrees of support, whether that's, um, regular engagement with group therapy contexts or, uh, one-on-one engagement. And it has been, uh, important to know, do we expect based on certain incoming factors? That an individual has, how, how likely are they to, uh, within the first six months, um, go from an A down to something, uh, more severe? And, and that can be, uh, because of something that engages our context, in fact. So, so we can actually ask, are there certain people who are likely to engage prison differently where it is something that causes a deterioration? It, their adult status and we need to provide more support, um, we actually have some people where the data suggests that prison being as structured as it is, um, they, they might have a bit of an increased end adult health status. Uh, so, so those people are of less concern in that particular domain. Um, I mentioned before asking questions about what happens when they are released. So there are a number of, uh, medical concerns there, but also uh, we have one individual right now uh there's there's often the question of recidivism it's it's what so many people in so many contexts care about um and um we have one individual who's looking at releasing to food deserts and whether that um predicts the likelihood of them coming back to us in fact uh we we actually work with a number of researchers, Eric mentioned, you know, finding data to researchers is a big thing. And it's, it's interesting to see how many people are interested in exploring a variety of factors uh, that we, I don't, it would be hard for us to think of all of them. Uh, It's, it it is impressive how many people are working on that question of what happens after people leave our care. And um, that's, that's one small part of it that a member of our team was particularly passionate about following up on. Uh, I'm trying to think what else has been recently on the docket. There's actually, this is a, this is a thing that, that I'm passionate about. Um, Looking at various methods of considering the same question, because this is a thing that statistical theory brings to bear upon pretty much any real world context that collects data regularly. We can try to predict things in a variety of fashions with more or fewer assumptions about our model when we start out. And it's with varying degrees of success. Um, you see this in the financial sector, the technological sector, um, in a lot of social research as well. And I, I do appreciate that there has been a substantial amount of leeway in this division to model the same thing multiple ways to try to actually ask what is most suitable for the data we have available. Let's not just take the first thing we hear about for any of these questions that we've uh, mentioned and say, this, this is the way it has to be done because this is the way someone on our team happened to know we could do it. uh, The first time it was heard about No, we can continue to explore and and ask really How can we, how can we truly make the most of our data by delving deeply into the statistical tools available to us um, from what is, uh, I mean, statistics is an ever developing discipline uh, with more and more nuanced methods, more and more nuanced tools being provided to us constantly. How can we take those ever evolving tools and apply them more finely? to get at the outcomes that uh, people
1: are interested in. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. I'd like to thank Jarrett and Benjamin for taking the time to talk with me. In upcoming episodes, we will discuss the tools that the Indiana department of correction uses to develop the models and metrics. We will talk about how the results from the analysis can be used for bad. And we will also discuss the different models that they have developed and are in the process of developing. This recording is brought to you from the Barry Dunn government consulting team. If you have any questions, I can be reached at c-c-o-v-e-y at barrydunn.com. This episode was produced by Eric and myself. I'd also like to thank Doug Rowe, Seth Hedstrom, and Chad Snow for making this possible. Until next time.